Danny's always lived on the Coffs Coast and he's always loved fishing. I knew in primary school that I wanted to be a commercial fisherman. I got my um, year six yearbook and in the, in the job section, what do you want to be? And it's occupation, commercial fisherman. He got his first paid commercial fishing job in 2006 on a prawn trawler and then a couple of years later moved on to a trap and line boat. In 2016, after 10 years on the job, he and his fiancée, Melissa, bought their own trap and line boat. This boat's a 36-foot double diagonal timber boat. It actually started off as a, um, a game boat. It used to have a flybridge and everything on it, then it got converted to a, a trap and line boat. I'm Jess O'Callaghan, and this is The Business of Fishing, a podcast from the Young Farmer Business Program, an initiative of the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries, to help you get the skills you need for the office, not the boat. We're talking to young commercial fishers, oyster farmers and aquaculturists about how they do business. Danny Green and Melissa Barrett are almost five years into running their own fishing business. Danny does the fishing and Melissa does the books. You're going to hear how they got started, the hard lessons they've learned and how understanding cash flow changed everything. It's 4am near the end of winter and I'm out on the boat with Danny and his deckhand, Ethan. Later, we'll pull in some traps, but first, some line fishing. A pretty recent business decision. It's sailing this last 12 months. We started yeah, Benito, right. and yeah, it turns out we're not too bad at it either, so... Yeah, we're really trying to race the other boats down there to this spot. Danny and Ethan look behind us for the lights on other boats to see if they'll have this spot to themselves. What is it, about 7 o'clock, 6.30, 7 o'clock. We're just anchored up to the spot where we're catching um, mac tuna and bonito. So what we're doing, we're just casting little metal jigs, letting them sink down and retrieving them, just giving them a bit of a jig. So yesterday we did about a 1,000 casts for probably 10 fish. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's different. Fish, fish yeah. every second cast. Oh, oh that's so funny. I've never seen them this big. <laughs> Eventually, the fish stop biting. Around 10am, they call it quits and eat some breakfast. My first paid job was prawn trolling, and I did that in, started 2006, 2007. Went to Darwin for a while on the prawn trawlers. The boat we're on, the Lemat, it's actually the boat Danny did his work experience on in Year 10 with a man named Ron Stewart. Danny would go on to work with Ron's son, also named Danny, who's still a mentor of his. In an industry that can have a lot of uncertainty, building good relationships with experienced fishers played a key role in helping get the business up and running. My first paid trapping boat was with Danny Stewart and I was with him for about four years and he really taught me the ins and outs of fishing and um, he's still teaching me now, four years into my own business. So, What happened was Dan was training me up to run one of his boats and I went and got my licence and everything like that. But um, as soon as I got my licence, I got all excited and was like, I want my own business, like, run it for myself sort of thing. So Dan Stewart leased me his second boat for eight months while he didn't need it, just so we could see if we could actually make some money out of it and give it a go without investing too much into the industry. And, um, yeah, ever since the first day I had the flow on my own, I was gone. After breakfast, Danny shows me the navigation tools he uses to track where his traps are. There's a large analogue compass just above the wheel of the boat and two screens. 
One of those screens is full of numbers, marking spots where Danny knows the fish will find the trap, most of them just off the edge of a reef. He's collected these spots and this knowledge over years of fishing, learning where to go from Ron and Danny Stewart, and then building on that knowledge himself. He charts course for one of the spots where a trap was dropped yesterday. And when we get there, Danny and Ethan start to pull it in. Ethan tells me it's not a particularly good haul today, but better than the day before. It's the end of the season, so the catch is easing off. What have you got? Uh, these are all mainly leather jackets. This one here is a baby barcod. This here is a mowon. This is a pigfish. And these are the most expensive fish we catch. We go up to nearly $50 a kilo for these bad boys. I don't know who buys them or what for, but I've heard they're not actually good eating, so... $45, 50 a kilo, we won't say no to that. These are called whirrers, cods. Everyone calls them boots. Apparently you're better off eating your boot than eating one of these. <laughs> Most of what they've pulled in are leather jackets, which Ethan skins by hand on the deck while Danny navigates to a different spot. Doing all this on the move means they save time and labour costs. This way, the leather jackets are ready to sell by the time they reach the co-op. Ethan checks the females for row too, little sacks of eggs that they can sell at a premium. Apparently they... I don't know who they is, but whoever's buying them, <laughs> I think they smoke them and eat them. I'm not sure. Not, not my thing. He tosses them into a bucket to be sold separately. When we reach the spot where the trap will spend the next 24 hours, Danny sings out to Ethan to drop it back in. When he hears Danny call out, he's got to move pretty quickly because the boat has the best spot mapped. Back in the day, all the trap and line boats were big, slow, low cost on fuel, just so they could handle the weight as well, because we need to take a lot of weight, ice bait, that sort of thing. These days, the fishing's moving a little bit more, like you have to diversify a lot more, so the bigger, older boats, the heavier boats are starting to get phased out a little bit. People are starting to go smaller, lighter, faster, which hurts trapping because you can't handle as much fish or as much ice and bait. So it's kind of hard to find the in-between boat for diversifying your business. I'm trying to diversify, so I'm trying not to rely 100% on trapping. Uh, when I first started, pretty well, all I was doing was trapping every day, trapping every day. But um, the overheads and expenses of trapping is just ever-increasing. So we're trying to bonito, trying to do a lot more deep-water handlining, barcode. Um, in the summer, I do a lot of Spanish mackerel, spotted mackerel fishing. There are 12 traps off this stretch of coast, and we spend a few hours pulling them in, dropping them back. How's it going so far? Danny likes to use chicken gullet and beef liver in the traps, but around this time of year, near the end of winter, when the fish are biting, it's in short supply at the co-op. Not many abattoirs will supply it for bait, and there's not enough to go around. The co-op stockpiles it in a big freezer for these busier months, but it never stretches far enough. Luckily, he'd bought tonnes of frozen salmon months ago, and it's gotten him through the last few months. With each new trap that's set, Ethan and Danny combine squid, fish and these giant chunks of salmon in the small cage that sits at the centre of the trap to try and make the bait stretch. For the first few years of running the business, Danny was out on the boat on his own. 
I think I got through it just through willpower and wanting to show people I can do it. So I just kept going and going. Didn't even check the weather. Just used to get up and go. I'm a bit smarter these days, but I always check the weather now. Ethan is a relatively new hire. I kind of got to a point where I couldn't catch or do any more than I was currently doing by myself. Watching them work together, Danny driving the boat onto the next spot while Ethan works on the fish, gets things cleaned up, prepares to bring the next trap in. I can't imagine what it's like to do all that work on your own. I just found I was working too hard and then burning myself out and having to have like a week or two off, just sit in my room with my thumb in my mouth sort of thing. Originally, Ethan was meant to only come on for the jacket season, which was three months. So when he come on the boat, I said, look, you got three months sort of thing where you're going to make some money. And um, two years later, he's still here. So he's, he's quite a good worker and um, turned into a good mate, actually. I think you have to be get along pretty decent to spend as much time as we do together. So it's good. Danny and Ethan like spending time together, which is good because they spend a lot of time together. He also sees having a deckhand as a valuable way to pass on knowledge, like the Stuarts did for him. Ethan wants to run his own business one day, and working as a deckhand for Danny is a good way to learn how, where the best spots are, how to get the most out of your day. But bringing a deckhand on means being confident that there's enough fish being caught to make it worth it. So most of the deckhands work on a percentage of the catch, so if the boat's catching fish Ethan gets paid more so the more we catch the more he gets paid he's on a fairly high percentage he's one of the most experienced deckies that we've got in the harbour at the moment and um, unfortunately for me everyone's trying to poach him so we've got to put the, the pay up a bit. But poaching a deckhand isn't as simple as just making a better offer. Deckhands and fishers work on commission. You could be getting the best percentage in the harbour but if your boss isn't catching much it doesn't mean you'll get paid more. If you're a deckhand, you don't want to jump on a boat that's not catching because you'll work every day for nothing. It's taken me a fair while to get to a, a point in our business where we can afford to pay a deckhand a decent wage where they will stay on the boat. A lot of boats go through a lot of deckhands just because the deckhands can't get paid enough or not so much enough but consistently enough because they're kind of going week to week, month to month, whereas the business is going year to year. So... It's, it is quite hard to keep deckhands on the boat for any extended period of time. Danny's gotten better over the years at organising how he uses his own time as well. You, you have to write a list. If you don't write a list and you don't give yourself a timeline to finish that list, you never get anywhere. He's learnt that it's impossible to get everything on the to-do list done, to do 100% of the tasks and do them all well. But if you have a list, you can start to prioritise. So you pick out your... 20% of them that are that are the most important to you at that time, like within that week that you have to do, write them on a list, get them done by the end of the week. Around 2pm, all the traps are in. On a really good day, when the traps are full each time they're pulled in, Danny and Ethan might go around again and see what they've caught in the hours spent on the water. But today we turn around and make for the cop. When we pull into the co-op wharf, there's a boat that's just beaten us to shore. Hey, By now, I've heard a lot about Danny's mentor, Danny Stewart. And now here he is, standing on the wharf, hands on his hips, appraising the catch as Danny and Ethan pull it off the boat. Yeah, a few jackets, a few bonito, a few snapper. Mix that. 
Most of the fishermen in Coffs Harbour, including myself, sell our product through the co-op because we're all members of the co-op. The co-op takes what they want um, for their fresh shop and their wholesalers that come to us, and then the rest gets um, shipped to Sydney Fish Market. The fish that they take, they pay us, and then Sydney Fish Market pay us as well. It all goes into a big pool, and then they divvy up what each fish has weighed in and what price they got for that fish, and then at the end of the week, they'll they'll give us a pay slip, all our species, weights, and dollars per kilo that we get for that. There are good days and there are bad days, and then there are the days in between, like today. Danny says it's hard to calculate how much he's catching day to day or week to week, but at the moment it's about 15 to 20 tonnes of fish a year. But Danny and Melissa have learnt not to stake too much on any given day or base business decisions on a week or two. We kind of try and look at each quarter rather than each week. You have to try and obviously catch each week, but at the end of the quarter is when you really, really get to see what you're, where you're making money, where you're losing money. It hasn't always been this way. When Danny first started, he could find himself swept up in the good times without a sense really of how much money he was making. We started off as a sole trader, but we're both um, invested in the business. Um, Mel's got a bit more business sense than I do. I kind of just went to work, caught the fish, weighed him in, went home. But costs added up. Without a long-term sense of the money and fish coming in and out, every financial choice felt like a gamble. Just not knowing what your yearly costs are, like mooring, slipping, all your gear, your tackle, the price of traps, steel, rope, bubbles. Um, just being a little bit naive about how much money you actually have to put into it to get a payout of it. So as you go along, you make all the mistakes and you kind of learn from that. So now I know what times of the year I'm, I can spend money and what I should spend money on to increase our income for that time period. As in this year, we spent, I spent a fair bit of money on tackle, lures, line, rods, reels to chase Benito, and it's, it's really paid off for us. It was a bit slow in the start while I was learning how to chase them, but it, it's paid off for us now. Getting a sense of how much you're spending and how much you're making It helps prevent burnout as well. It helps you set realistic expectations for yourself and your business. I think the more you understand about your business, it just gives you a clearer view of where you have to go and what what amount of work you need to do to be able to get to break even or make make a profit. But these lessons didn't come instantly. Danny and Melissa were running their own business for a few years before they got a handle on it. It wasn't until probably the second, third year we started to realise how in-depth business actually is and it's not just going to catch fish. There's a lot of different variables and different aspects to running a business. Paperwork, accountants, legislations with government. And um, we found out pretty quick we're over our heads. Hey, nice to meet you. I'm Jess, nice to meet meet you. Hi Lila. How are you? (laughs) Thanks for having me over. (laughs) Just as Danny has had a big day, Melissa is getting home from a long shift as a hospital nurse. I sit down with Danny and Mel and their seven-year-old daughter Lila to chat about how the business fits in with their family life. Um, My life looks like early mornings, generally 5.30 start to get Lila up. You have a 5.30 start too, do you? Mm. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my mum will generally come and take Lila while I head off to work and do nursing for the day. 
um, and I work full time, so 40 hours a week. I move that, and then I do all the paperwork and stuff for the business. And you know. sometimes Ma picks me up. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's pretty full on. Yeah, right. And are there certain times of the year that are busier than others? Yeah, so now. Now is the. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so Dan works long hours. This is our time where we make probably 75% of our income for the year. So at the moment is really hard. Melissa's not a fisher herself, but she plays a big role in the business, making financial decisions alongside Danny and keeping the books. Most of this happens at night, once she gets home from nursing. Like, I have a lot of late nights. Um, so I'm up at, you know, 5.13 exactly, um, most mornings. And then I'm in bed, usually no later, um, no earlier than 10 o'clock at night at the moment. And that's just how I fit things in. But I think if you want to be successful and you want to drive and you still want to have your family time, then those are the sacrifices that you have to make. And you're not going to receive things on a silver platter. You have to work for them. And so that's how I try my best to get us through and achieve our goals that we want to achieve. No one in Daniel Mel's families runs a business of their own, so there was a lot they didn't know when they started. After going it alone for about a year, they got into the individual coaching program run by the Young Farmer Business Program. This was in 2018, and it's shaped how they've run the business ever since. It helped Mel get her head around the tasks that had to be done and simple ways to do them. Just learning the basics of business, which we didn't know, like we were literally inputting receipts onto a spreadsheet, every single receipt. They got access to a business coach for 12 months who guided them through the finances. Yeah, then he taught us to, you know, there's computer programs for this. So we now use Xero, um, which has been a massive help. So I would suggest anyone, don't use the spreadsheet. (laughs) It is hours and hours of work and it takes up all that family time as well. There have been a lot of lessons learned in four years of running a business together. And as the business grows, Danny and Mel are growing alongside it. I've really learned to take opportunities and say yes to things. And that, I feel, is moving us forward. I think there are so many different opportunities out there. There's so many learnings to have to benefit yourself. And through the DPI and the Young Fathers Business Program, a lot of them are free or at low cost. I think we're just getting better at running it, better at juggling all the aspects of the business at one time, really. I think that's the main the main um, improvement. And obviously every year you learn, you learn something different and strive to do it better the next year. And, but, yeah, I think we're just maturing more into our business. <laughs> yeah, no. Adulting. <laughs> Danny and Melissa show us how building good relationships plays a key role in building a successful business. In fishing especially, identifying mentors who can show you the ropes but also give you advice on the business side of things is key. Setting goals and priorities is essential. This goes for those day-to-day tasks like building traps and doing paperwork, but also longer-term goals like investing in new technology or trying to target a new species of fish. But with this, as Danny has learned, it's important to be realistic – Write a list of everything you hope to get done and accept that it won't all get done, ever. And if you love the work but you don't have many people to turn to for advice on the business side of things, finding a business coach can be an invaluable investment. Get someone who can help you put systems and strategies in place that will set you up for success. 
And what are your hopes for the future? What are our hopes for the future? We want to get some property. Yeah, that's so. one of our goals. We want to have a little bit of property, you know, have a few chickens and, and do that kind of thing. So we're definitely working our way towards that. Um, and the business has been able to help us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of Fishing, brought to you by the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries Young Farmer Business Program. Thanks to Danny, Melissa, Lila and Ethan for having me along for the day. You can find more episodes of The Business of Fishing on your favourite podcast app. If you liked this one, give us a review while you're there. Next time. Yeah, I try work as little as possible. <laughs> but um, nah, in reality, yeah, the more you put in, the more you get out. So I, I've got to knuckle in and do a bit more work, that's for sure. But <laughs> I, I do, I think whoever can work the least for the most amount of money wins. You'll hear from Jack Salt, growing oysters on Pambula Lake. Catch you then. We're a good family. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing I didn't ask. I didn't say, are you a good family? So I couldn't answer. Do you want to answer that? Yeah. Do you like your parents? Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's lucky. You can have your five bucks now. Good job. I don't like them. I love them. Oh, Oh, lucky. That's lucky.